Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi guys, Spanners here. Just a little note to say that the first 10 minutes of the audio on this podcast were a little bit compromised. We recorded it live all together in the same room, which was fantastic. However, I did just make a few mistakes with the setup. So Matt sounds very thin for the first few minutes. And also you might pick up on a little bit of reverb from a badly placed speaker. We do strive for the best audio that we can possibly have here on the podcast. And today we didn't quite meet our standards. I hope you can still enjoy our Singapore race review. And the audio does get significantly better about 10 minutes in. All right, here we go. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. It's our live review here from Buckmore Park Karting. In Kent, uh, we've just finished the Missed Apex podcast karting event. It was absolutely fantastic. We'll do a full breakdown of that a little bit later in the week. If we are uh, a little bit more sweaty and disheveled compared to normal, it's because some people were up until this morning, very much this morning, uh, enjoying a fantastic time uh, down at the hotel after the event. Uh, But we've just watched a Singapore Grand Prix. Uh, I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Ah, uh, it's going fine considering uh, considering my nearly life threatening injury. The he, fact that I'm here at all, I think, is a miracle. So he got a bit of an owie rib yesterday. It was a bit of an ouchie, but he was very brave, and he he even won a race at the end of it. Uh, over there in the far corner are Chris Stevens. Hey, Chris. Hi, Spanners. And, and Kyle Power. Uh, let's start our race review. In fact, we we do have a show title, don't we? Um, let's go to the floor. What was it, Darren? Uh, it was the Hunt for Red September. Five. There we go. It was The Hunt. I should say the show is called The Hunt for Red September. That suggestion by Brad L on Twitter. Uh, Let's uh, get to our race review proper. Now, full disclosure, Matt, we didn't get as far as watching qualifying because we were doing racy, racy go-karts. 
Yeah, we did. We eventually watched it later at the hotel. Well, this is how antisocial you were. You put it on an iPad in the middle of the bar with the volume up. Yeah, so anybody who wanted to watch could pay attention, and if you didn't, you could just ignore it. Seemed Aww. like a good plan to me. It felt like one of those, you know, problem families where they had let the kids watch CBeebies on the plane with the volume <laughs> up, and I was just cringing and dying inside. Uh, but what did you glean from catching up with qualifying that? Well, I really only watched it uh, for one reason. One was to see Leclerc's lap, and the other was to see if I could find out exactly what had happened between uh, Botas and Hamilton. Good. Chris, complete surprise to see Ferrari up at the front. Absolutely. Uh, I think Charles Leclerc is on absolutely phenomenal form, but uh, credit where it's due, Ferrari have done a phenomenal job to add uh, downforce to that car, which we know has been the biggest problem uh, ever since Hungary. I mean, you remember they were a minute behind the leaders by the end of that race. And so the the updates that they've provided, the new front wing, nose design, the new floor, really, really working uh, wonders um, on uh, this Singapore Grand Prix track, um, particularly for qualifying, which we know is so crucial. F- Ferrari themselves were really shocked you know, to, to not only be fighting for pole, but to, to claim pole position. And uh, I think, you know, had uh, things gone a little bit better for Seb in uh, the second run in Q3, he could have been right up there on the front row. I think uh, the next race will be really, really telling because, as we know, Singapore can throw up uh, an odd result at times. So uh, I remain a little bit sceptical about Ferrari's true form, and we'll see in Sochi where they lie. Cool. Uh, well, let's get to the race, which is the part that we, we all did watch, and this is where we go and ask Matt where the race was won and lost. From a strategy point of view... That's all this race really had to offer. My, my expectations for the Singapore Grand Prix, I think, were rightly low. And I think you have to come into a, a street circuit race like this and say, we know that the aero wash costs us, you know, eight seconds. Uh, from eight seconds back, you can feel the, the, the aero. Uh, we saw cars struggling to follow much slower cars. So given the low expectations that we have for this race... The strategy was interesting enough and it was fascinating enough to keep us on the edge of our seats. Yeah, it was very convoluted. And I'm ignoring the fact that you now always say the word arrow like Summers does. Arrow? Oh, no. (laughs) Always, always. When you say it, all I can hear is Summers uh, in your voice. There was four of them at the event yesterday. So we had Summers, we had his brother, Russ, and then we had their two friends. So we had just the air of, oh, no's all the time. Yeah, Uh, All day, it was great. It was brilliant. This race was very interesting. Normally, it's the start. And it was kind of the start, because the start was where we had the incident between Hulkenberg and Sainz that wound up pitting him on lap one to put the hards on. And this ultimately became the most critical part of the race, because about 18 and a half laps later, he was just about inside of Sebastian Vettel's pit window. At the same time, Mercedes was yet again putting people out into the pit lane and not using them. I'm not going to say they do that every race, but like, you know, they kind of do do that every race. And what wound up happening was Ferrari pitted Vettel, not Leclerc, in response to Mercedes' threat of an undercut. Because Lewis was also on the radio saying, oh, we should undercut them. And then Mercedes appears. And and clearly, Ferrari thought it was bait. But what they chose to do, looking at backwards at Hulkenberg, was to bring Vettel in. Now, at that time, I got the numbers right here. Hang on a second. At the time, uh, he was about 2.7 seconds back of Hamilton. And a normal undercut is around one and a half, two seconds back, you should be able to get in front of the driver you're trailing. He was 2.7 seconds back. And when he came out, 
not only was he in front of Hamilton uh, measuring forward, but when Leclerc pitted the lap later, Leclerc came out uh, about another second and a half behind him. So it was a four and a half second undercut. Now, everyone knew the undercut was powerful. I'm not sure if they knew it would really put Vettel out in front because that's that's a lot of time that that was lost. Uh, yeah, so in a race like this, though, Chris, there was like there's one chance. We knew it was going to be a one stopper, and uh, we knew that the tires weren't probably weren't going to drop off a cliff completely. So this this undercut, I think Hamilton sensed it, didn't he? He was going, let's undercut him, let's undercut him, because any other strategy was going to leave him behind on track position. Yeah, the tires definitely don't like, fall apart um, because they coast around so so slowly uh, which was a, a big talking point after the race you know they are really cruising around like it's an outlap and uh, they're, they're lifting and coasting a lot as well so there's not a lot of degradation but you'd have to say Mercedes really dropped the ball on, on the strategy you know, not just not reacting to Ferrari's stop but then also just leaving it two or three laps uh, later to then uh, put Hamilton in yeah and to add to that uh, which made the undercut much uh, more powerful was the fact that they were coasting in that first stint. So they were, they left themselves in a bit of a trap that they weren't getting the gap to the midfield to have that pit window to drop into. So that that exaggerated the undercut like, um, quite a lot because they were going so slow trying to nurse the tyres. And Mercedes really, really missed a, missed a trick there because there clearly was a window opened up on lap 19 where they pitted Vettel and Mercedes could have done the same thing with Hamilton because Vettel was behind and he come out so Mercedes in my eyes dropped the ball a bit there they they missed a great opportunity well to me what's interesting and and the answer is obvious when you look at it what's interesting is with Vettel pitting normally you'd expect Botas to cover off Vettel's maneuver and they didn't do that and the thing is the lap Vettel pitted Botas was only 26 seconds in front of Hulkenberg at that point so they had already missed the boat and the reason they missed the boat is because they knew or they suspected that if they pitted Botas to get him ahead of Hulkenberg, that he would come out in front of Hamilton and then they would have that problem. And especially given what happened in qualifying, I suspect they did not want to have that problem. So this is the first time, though, I'm I'm watching the race live with a bunch of people. Normally, it's quite a a private affair watching Formula One. And uh, I I did try and keep a cap on my emotions, uh, but that early phase of the race, we know there's generally a tyre-saving phase at the beginning of races while they shake it out, but I was genuinely bored, and I've not been bored for a while because we've had so many great races, uh, but Kyle, like you see that from a tactical racing point of view, it's almost like an endurance setup now where they have to do anything they can to put themselves in their proper one-stop window. It's it's not ideal. As Lando Norris said after the race, it's not really racing. And we haven't seen it this extreme to this extent since 2013 in Monaco, where they were running around five, six seconds off the pace just to make the tyres into the pit window. So I'd like to see at least two stops being enforced. And I think they could do that by making them run all three tyre compounds as a rule. They don't have to change it much if they have to run all three uh, slick tyre compounds during the race in the dry race that will at least guarantee at least a two stop and this will solve this problem they'll be able to push but what you'll find is in really high degradation tracks they might have uh, like literally like a couple of laps on the soft just to get that out of the way so they do one stop get on the soft 
get out of the way, stick the hard tire on. Or you'll have the opposite where, you know, they can't switch the hard tires on at all. So they'd be having to come in and do it. So I'm not sure how much of a difference that would make, but are, are we panicking over a problem that is only present on these street circuits where overtaking isn't a threat? Because anywhere else, if they were going that slowly, you'd just get mugged. Yeah, I think it's quite unique to Singapore. And like I said, the last time we saw this was in Monaco. Again, a track you can't, it's very difficult to overtake on. So again, like the Q3 incident in Monza, I think this is an isolated, quite unique scenario for this track. So there shouldn't be any knee-jerk reactions, even though I'd like to see one. It, it must be noted as well that this scenario comes as a result of Pirelli's design of the tyres and just the massive aerodynamic wake that modern Formula 1 cars produce. Uh, and the, the Singapore Grand Prix track is very capable of putting on good races. Um, before the new regulations came in, we saw some absolutely cracking battles and some, some brilliant overtaking maneuvers and, and really interesting races. And so I think, you know, when, when we start looking at, say, like 2021, for example, you, you cannot possibly be in that scenario because it is much easier to overtake. You don't need a two second delta to pass someone. So fascinatingly, that brings us back to the strategy of the race, because with Mercedes having chosen to go long, and immediately you could see they were losing a second and a half, two seconds a lap, what they had essentially done was there was a gap in front of Hulkenberg that that Vettel had dropped into, and then Leclerc and Verstappen as well, because Verstappen pitted on the same lap as Vettel. And they had this bit of free air. But then what they had run into, and this was always going to be a problem, was the midfielders who had started on the medium tires were supposed to try to run to around lap 40 was a prediction. And it wound up being 32 to 35 for most of the majority of them. So it was going to, that traffic was going to be a problem. And Mercedes may have thought that once Ferrari encounters that traffic, will be able to take some time back because they'll be trapped behind these midfielders and hard and Singapore where you can't pass anybody except for two problems with that. Number one, uh, they were going as fast as Hamilton was on his ancient soft tires. And number two, when they got, when Vettel got to them, he dispatched them with remarkable alacrity. I must say a surprising amount of alacrity. So on both points, that strategy didn't really work the way Mercedes hoped that it might. But it, it, that was a desperate strategy for them to attempt. It was not the optimum one by any stretch of the imagination. And, and people will, will watch from home and say that, oh, well, Ferrari have screwed over Leclerc here. Uh, but I think more than anything, they were a, surprised by Vettel being able to jump Leclerc. But then also um, the um, the ability to yeah get through the traffic and it must be said Seb has you know ha- got some flack recently with good reason but today he's done a, a, a an amicable amicable performance where he not only you know managed to get through the the midfielders with with relative ease but the three safety car restarts as well where he just bolted and and using the experience you can see the the level in uh, difference between Leclerc and Vettel in that particular scenario, because it's just not one Leclerc's had to deal with before. Yeah, and Ferrari doing that strategy move was was quite a good thing for them, really, because they have one driver that's really struggling, and they've got one young charger who is always going to be with them for a, an awful long time. So they really need to build Vettel's confidence. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was a semi-conscious move to give Vettel that opportunity, which they quickly saw, and they 
and they took it. So now they've got their previous star driver now on a confident high and should be back to good form and a lot of pressure off of his shoulders. So he should get better performances. And they got went from a 1-3 to a 1-2. So actually, it was a win-win for Ferrari. As, as far as you know, getting Vettel back up there goes, scoring Ferrari's first 1-2 of the season and his first win in over a year is a great way to start rebuilding his confidence mm-hmm. after what has been a dreadful year for him, it must be said. So to me, the most fascinating thing about this is that we have Mercedes, we have Ferrari. Ferrari was willing to sacrifice the rules they normally run under for Leclerc to get both cars in a one-two. Mercedes' unwillingness to do this meant that they weren't even on the podium when they should have had third. They, Hamilton really should have pitted the same the, the lap after, and I believe they would have had a third as a result because would, he would have been ahead of Verstappen because Verstappen had some time to make up. That's one thing. But I had meant to mention before you got to the safety cars that the other thing Mercedes was betting on very much was a safety car. Because with a safety car, the gap would be closed, and they had seven lap fresher tires, which is a decent offset. Ferrari having had difficulties managing tires, especially at the end of the race, as we saw at Monza on a hot track around 35C, so not super hot, but hot enough. Uh, there could have been a real race at the end. And that first safety car, bringing everybody back together, you're thinking, okay, this is where it's all going to get interesting. So you think about the tire management. I mean, where are we going next? Sochi, where there is zero tire day <laughs> yeah. because it's billiard smooth uh, track. So actually, they could be really good um, there as well. But I think uh, Leclerc was rightly miffed about losing the win when he had done everything right. He did a stellar job in qualifying, did a, a good first stint where he managed the pace perfectly. And then all of a sudden, and he didn't even know that Seb had pitted. Either he was totally unaware that Seb was catching him at you know, two three seconds a lap, and so he he wasn't even, wasn't even given a chance to defend that lead. Okay, so people will accuse me on occasion of being a Vettel hater, and I've already had a few messages going. Oh, what's um, Spanner's going to make of this? Is he going to say that Vettel was gifted the win? Well, it, instead of doing that, I'm going to ask it in the form of a question then it's not really me saying it. So, uh, Chris, do you think Vettel was gifted the win? <laughs> now, as I said earlier, I think he, he did a, a standout job. Yes, he got a bit lucky with uh, the strategy, but he still did all the right things. And he did everything he needed to do to not only maintain that lead from the chasing pack, but also from his teammate. So it's, it's still a, a good win for him, exactly what he needs right now. Um, but I do think uh, Leclerc has every right to be upset about uh, what's happened today. Yeah, because um, yeah, he he was driving to instruction essentially. That first mm. that first stint, he was driving to a lap time or a delta that was given to him by his engineer, and he followed all of the procedure. But as he said quite well, very well, and very um, proficiently afterwards, true Ferrari man through and through, he said the only excuse or the reason I need is we got a one two out of it rather than a one three. Yeah. Company man. Facts don't care about your feelings. If you look at the numbers, you can understand exactly why Ferrari strategists did what they did. And that's the difference between the two teams. Mercedes did not take their chance to preserve team teammate unity. And Ferrari said, you're on a team. We want a one, two. And sorry, sorry that life went that direction for you. There's a slight hint of irony, though, that they sent the chief strategy officer onto the podium to receive <laughs> yeah. the trophy. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was uh, that was a bit harsh. Um, yeah, look, I I don't want to do Vettel down. Uh, I know we've been quite harsh over his performance. We asked questions like, if Vettel hadn't had those four world championships, would there be any question of retaining him at Ferrari at the moment? And I think based on his form over the last few seasons, you'd say he'd be lucky to keep that seat. So whilst it's a good confidence boost for him, he will still go to bed tonight knowing that Leclerc got the pole, Leclerc was in control of the race, and that he was very fortunate to, to get that undercut on him. So I think from a morale point of view, he'll enjoy it. You take the rough with the smooth. He's had bad luck as well, but I think he'll know that he's still got a problem. I think that was quite evident from his somewhat muted celebrations. I mean, he wasn't jumping around completely elated. He was, he was, he was somewhat reserved, and I think it was more relief, but also in the back of the mind, he, he realises he benefited from a very good strategy call, and it felt his favour. But look at the last couple of races. Ferrari almost... Well, particularly in Belgium, they almost sacrificed Vettel to help Leclerc as well. So it swings to roundabouts. Do you remember in Monaco a few years ago when Hamilton was was robbed of a, a win? Like they pitted, he got delayed in the in the pit stop or something. Rosberg got gifted that win, and he celebrated mm. like he just you know overtaken eighteen cars into the final corner and got a win. But he was jump, and I was like at the time, I was like, no. Mm. That is the equivalent of like doubling the black at pool accidentally. You tap the side of the table, my bad. You pay for the next frame and you rack them up. What Vettel did today was, was much more appropriate, I think. I think what Rosberg was doing on that occasion was rubbing salt into <laughs> Hamilton's wounds and, and reveling in it. Uh, fantastic. Uh, Matt, uh, where are we on one and lost? Um, well, having covered the first safety car uh, pretty extensively, which was caused, I believe, by the Grosjean Russell contretemps, mm-hmm. um, it looked good for Mercedes, or it was going to be their best chance. The gaps had been reduced. They had the fresher tires. Off they went. And then it, as often as the case in motorsport, uh, safety car begat safety car begat safety cars. The next thing that happened was the Perez just stopped. <laughs> And then after that, we had Raikkonen. Uh, I mean, again, uh, I'm going to say this. I do like Raikkonen. I really enjoyed watching him win last year. But that was some serious grandpa driving right there, just like turning in. And then we had like, didn't we have one other after that? Was there like an extra, extra one? doesn't really matter. The point is each successive safety car simply reduced any chance Mercedes had to do anything because it took tire degradation and any tire problems Ferrari might have encountered with their older tires off the table. What it did do, interestingly, was ruin Haas' race utterly because they were on very old tires and already suffering with not getting into the window, being able to keep the tires hot enough. By the time they got to the last safety car, they both Grosjean and Magnussen dropped like stones. So they had a P8 on the books and it was taken away by all the safety cars. And that also kind of ruined the race for everybody watching it. Because all we had was, oh, look, it's a restart. Yeah. Good restart. The race died, didn't it? Yeah, it totally yeah. killed it. Yeah. Um, also, Mercedes was struggling quite clearly with tyre warm-up, particularly after the first safety car. They couldn't get out. And with Haas, particularly with Magnussen, he was on very worn tyres. So once they drop out of the window, there's less tyre tread, less tyre moving around, less rubber moving around, less less heat generated. So he just could not get those tyres back. He just dropped like a stone. 
Haas are still really confused about yeah, their car as well because Grosjean this weekend went back to the the pure Melbourne um, spec, having done some some hybrid versions between the Melbourne spec and the one that Magnussen has been driving as well, and they still cannot work out where the solution is, and it doesn't bode well for them at all, especially with some tire critical races coming up. The thing that I've noticed in the race, and I'm just going to bring it up, is this is the second race in a row where I've watched the sharp end of the field linger a second to half a second behind the car in front of them for a number of laps in a row. And I'm getting very curious if the front wing and the new arrow that was brought in to get the cars to be able to run closer together has reached a point where it's actually starting to work for the teams. They're able to run closer to the people in front of them for much longer stints. I mean, if you cast your mind back to 2013, 2014, and you think about you'd have maybe a lap, a lap and a half, and then they drop back to three seconds for a couple of laps, and then they pull up again. We're not seeing that anymore. And that could mean that once we're back on a track where overtaking is possible, we might be in for some really brilliant races to come. Yeah, uh, I think the most limiting factor, especially at Singapore, was actually the brakes, why they couldn't follow. They they could follow for for a fair amount of time, but then they had to drop out. And you saw them even even as early as lap four, having to pull out of the slipstream of the car ahead to cool their brakes down. So maybe it's not the aero that's limited now. Maybe it's maybe it's the brake cooling because they're not used to running that close to together. I tell you what, we've uh, we've covered some of the incidents already, so I think uh, we're long overdue. A quick game of whose fault is this? Whose fault is it? I think the thing that did keep this race interesting was those incidents. It's a shame that the safety cars killed the competitive nature of the chase up front. However, there were a few good incidents uh, because we're seeing a change in the way F1 is policed, in the way the rules are, are managed. And now we have to look at it in context of this kind of new approach to the racing, the new let them race, the new you can push people out wide on exits and the new you get a super second chance if you're at your home track. Um, but uh, today we saw examples where you had cars pushing other cars out wide, but there wasn't a nice bit of runoff. There wasn't a nice bit of grass. There was, in fact, a brick wall. So I'll go to Carl first, actually, and say uh, George Russell and, uh, and Roman Grosjean, Russell's comment was mint afterwards. I shouldn't have been surprised. Yeah. Um, for that one, I'm placing the blame on Grosjean because uh, he stuck his nose in to a gap that was always going to disappear. And uh, and because he was so ungracious yesterday, I'm going to say it's a very sort of typical Van Jean, stick your nose in where it shouldn't be, move. <laughs> um, and it resulted in disaster. Like Russell did kind of leave him a little bit of room, but Grosjean wasn't fully alongside and that gap was always going to disappear. He was driving into a disappearing wedge. So Grosjean... All, all day. He doesn't have to be fully alongside him. He's entitled to space there. You can't just shove people in a wall. And you, he very clearly does because he's turning it and then you see him unwind the steering and just edges him out towards that wall. You can't just put someone in okay. a wall like that. So mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with you, Chris. I think it is George, George Russell's fault. But he's opening up the steering, not to, not to wipe out Grosjean, not to put Grosjean in the wall. He's opening up the steering to take the normal racing line and force Grosjean to break and back out of that corner. But 
in the in the olden days, if you like, at the beginning of the season, we might have said, "Well, the driver's on the track; you can't just drive into him." But now, when we've got runoff, it seems like you're allowed to just drive to the edge of the track, and the other car has to get out of your way, go off the track, or duck out. When there's a wall there, that makes it different. So, are the rules different when there's a wall, Chris? Uh, yeah, it has to be because you are actually causing contact at that point. I don't know what George is doing fighting a car that's so much quicker than him. Anyway, I mean, the William, what are Williams fighting for uh, in, in in a race, especially against a proper you know midfield team when they're two seconds off the pace of the rest of the field? Rebuttal, Carl, no? Yeah, well, there's a wall there, so the consequences are <laughs> magnified a lot. And, and if you Grosjean, it was pretty obvious that the car you were trying to overtake. So it, this wasn't Russell overtaking Grosjean. This is Grosjean trying to go around the outside to overtake. Now, that car was always going to come across. Russell was always going to come across. It was a very predictable accident that was going to happen there. So Grosjean could have avoided it. Fair play to Grosjean, though, for getting his elbows out. You know, for the first time in a while, he really did get stuck in this weekend. It may have been predictable, only in that the Williams is an understeering pig, perhaps. (laughs) But we saw other overtakes happen that way at that corner had he driven a more conservative line. And there's no way he was not aware of Grosjean and his position at that apex because they were fully alongside each other. And you could see Grosjean as he exited the turn, as Russell came over, trying to steer the car this way. And Russell just plowed into him. And, And there's really no other way to describe it. And... I don't know. I mean, maybe he just wanted to have a crash like all the other F1 drivers. And finally, this was his big chance. The Williams has made enough progress to be able to crash a car that's trying to overtake it now. And But I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how you could seriously argue Grosjean was in a position where he should have backed out of it because he was fully alongside. This is not the same thing. Well, I don't thing. think he was. I think Grosjean, his front wheels were, were in line with Russell's rear wheels. I yeah. think from memory at best, so he was nowhere near fully alongside. Well, that, you're still entitled to space at that point. I, I think so as well. Um, I think that ultimately Russell has moved into a space where another car exists, and it's the old Senna adage, isn't it, of either you yield or we're going to have an accident. And I guess in this case, no one yielded, and they had their accident. Yeah. There was one. Sorry, there was one driver who could have avoided that crash. That was Grosjean. Russell could have as well, just by leaving him some space. I think they're both accountable, really. He hasn't got eyes at the back of his head. He knew he was there. You can't say he didn't. (laughs) Okay, we do have some stragglers here watching the live show. Make yourself heard, guys. Please with a polite round of applause. Um, uh, These are uh, very hungover stragglers, I have to say, uh, from the hotel yesterday. (laughs) Uh, Just from a show of hands here, who agrees with Kyle that it was uh, Grosjean's fault? Uh, And who agrees with everyone else that it was was George Russell's fault? I win. Uh, the panel votes don't count. Yeah, no, Kyle. Kyle wins in that situation. Cheers, so guys. I guess we're officially assigning blame to Grosjean. To Grosjean. We've got uh, another one with Kimi Raikkonen and Daniel Kvyat, and I know me and Kyle disagree on this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it is it is all day long. It was Kvyat. It wasn't a Daniel Ricciardo lick the stamp and send it. <laughs> that was lick the hammer and throw it. From Kvyat, he was he was so far back and just launched up the inside. And if you see Raikkonen's on board, like I'm no Kimi Raikkonen fan, so I usually tend to blame him for most things. But Raikkonen was already fully committed to turning in. If you look at Raikkonen's on board, he was completely turned in or turning in before Kvyat had even appeared 
in shot to sideswipe him. So, Kvyat, it was a crazy lunge. I don't think he would have made the corner if there wasn't any contact. So, I don't think you can apportion blame to Kimi there. Kvyat, the torpedo, living up to his name there. But I will say, I do think Kimi could have done more to avoid a collision because it, there must have been at some point he realised that that a car was launching towards his inside. And if he didn't, I think a driver higher up the grid of a of a better caliber would have recognized that that situation and and not continue to turn into the corner and actually kind of just 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 bailed out of it slightly. Chris Raikkonen's a world champion <laughs> who used to drive for Ferrari and uh, and didn't he win a race Yeah, but in that was that was never such a long time ago though. <laughs> okay, before you were before you were Irish. But I think he realized when someone was on his inside when they were when they were plowing into the side of him. Yeah. That was when he realized. <laughs> Could have recognized it earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think he necessarily expected Kvyat to be there, but it was a good clean move and the door was left open. I clean. Mean, it, it was clean until Raikkonen turned into him. I, I think, I actually think... Sorry, but that's that's just it. He would have made that corner and it would have been done. It's a good job I th- think it was a very good overtaking manoeuvre. If I'm honest, I think it was a really good, really wow. ballsy attempt to overtake. And it was too good because Raikkonen just assumed he wasn't going to make a move from there. But apparently, I don't know if this is true, the chat room saying that Kvyat was slower by 14 kph at the apex than usual in that corner and that meant that it's an indication that he had made the corner with some some control to spare his wheels weren't locked up I feel like he was in control he made a really good overtaking manoeuvre and Raikkonen wasn't even defending that move I think Raikkonen just wasn't expecting it well it's because Kvyat was miles behind him like he was nowhere near what what you usually would would identify as a good overtaking opportunity and yes he may have well been 14 kph slower but the line he was on he was right up against it with a trajectory aiming straight for the runoff area there was no like, i i don't think there was a hope in hell of him making the apex or actually making the corner he would have ran wide okay so last time we put it to a vote in a, in the room because we wanted to be democratic but the vote didn't go my way <laughs> so i'm not going to risk it again i'm just going to decide that we are officially uh, blaming Kimi Raikkonen for that. Sorry, Carl. Sorry, Carl. Boop. Boop. Um, and then the last one was a, was a shame because we saw Daniel Ricciardo obviously upset the, that he felt the FIA ruined his race by making him start at the at the back of the grid. It was for a technical infringement. So what was it for? He was like he had 0.02 at power advantage. No, so the uh, the MGUK, which we all know is the the kinetic energy recovery uh, system the electrical power that provides about 160 horsepower in addition to the internal combustion engine um overshot the power uh, because of a curb strike uh, which gained him 0.000001 of a second on not even his best q1 lap i think it was in q1 and so uh, and that is uh, it's a hard and fast rule if if it happens you get thrown out of qualifying that's just black and white but it it's so harsh because Renault had a fantastic qualifying and yeah it was uh, really oh, hard on him hang on a minute well because obviously I missed qualifying uh, what was the first thing he did wrong because obviously this must have been the second thing he did wrong right right yeah but what was the first thing he did wrong where he got sporting infringements are very Ah. different to technical infringements so he didn't get a warning then no 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 yellow card not for technical (laughs) for the australian at singapore okay okay the the gone matt Uh, didn't mercedes get in some kind of trouble for fuel being slightly too cold yeah it wasn't slightly though was it it was i think i think it was a full 12 degrees which is quite a lot i don't think it was slight 
Yeah, but they were really trying to gain an advantage in that first practice session, weren't yeah. they? Clearly trying to get the FP1 mm. glory. But yeah, so with with the Ricciardo thing, I do believe they should have applied a bit of common sense there. Really, it, it is a bit silly, and the the the. the, the the fan reaction online if you look online I haven't yeah. seen a single person who has defended that that decision you know what I will eat that sandwich right now <laughs> and I will say the reason why they enforce the technical regulations that strictly is because oh okay great oh so he did that and he gained a little bit of time and the next thing you know everyone's got an MGUK mm-hmm. that magically every time you touch a curb adds an extra 10 horsepower to the thing. We've seen it with the the materials they use on the fuel line, the other side of the flow meter. We've seen it with oil burning. We've seen it with literally every single part that you could possibly put on a car. If you give anyone any technical room at all, the teams will mm. eventually turn it into an unfair advantage. Okay, so, so that's why they're so strict about it. So I understand what Chris is saying. There's a difference between sporting regulations and technical regulations. But from an optics point of view... In Monza, you had the officials coming out and defending, oh, well, you know, the drivers wanted us to give them a bit more space. They wanted a bit more room. That's why we had this warning flag and then several more secret warnings that were not televised. Then there was an FIA representative on one of the grid walks asked about the Ricciardo thing. And he went, well, rules are rules. So it's a mixed message. And from an optics point of view, Chris, you know, he didn't say rules are rules in the scope of technical regulations but for sporting regulations as you've clearly seen we're going a different rule so it looks weird from a fan point of view um, maybe for the for the casual viewer yeah but drivers are saying you know let us race a little bit more aggressively is just a totally different ball game to yeah. eking out extra power from something else. and like matt says it, they will just start coming up and you'll get the next race. You're like, oh, well, you gave them a free pass for this thing. Why don't we get a free pass for this thing? Yeah. So, so speaking of then that extra leniency, obviously Daniel Daniel tried to be very aggressive and it didn't work out for him. Carl, that move, my first thought was rude. I thought Ricardo was very, very rude on the outside. And, and this is the thing we're talking about you know, over and over again is now the drivers know they can run a car out wide and they're not going to get a penalty. But it's kind of self-policing today. Yeah, um, I, again, I, I, I think that's clearly Ricciardo's fault going into the corner. Um, it would have been okay, but if you look very carefully on the onboard, he had a little snap of oversteer, which just put him into Giovinazzi, not Giovinazzi, Giovinazzi. <laughs> it's a shame for Renault as well because they had a car capable of finishing seventh and eighth um, today. So not only was you know Ricardo then thrown out of, of, of qualifying, but you had Hulkenberg getting into to science and dropping down to the back with the puncture. You had Ricardo then getting a you know similar treatment after he hit um, Giovinazzi. So a really messy race from the drivers. It must be said like forget about the stuff that happened in qualifying. The race from a driver's point of view, was really, really messy. And they've cost themselves a big, an, another big haul of, of points, you know, because they really could have capitalised on what happened in Monza. And it's a really good sign if, if you are quick in Monza and you're quick in Singapore, because you don't get two tracks next to each other in the calendar that are more different. So it's just a great sign for the rest of, of, of the season. And it's almost like Renault are finally showing the form that they should have had at the beginning of the season by developing the fourth best car. Uh, Bruce Wayne in the chat room brings up the excellent point that Renault got Haas disqualified for a couple of millimeters of floor last year at Coda. So perhaps, you know, <laughs> fair is fair. 
they get disqualified mm-hmm. for a milli, milli, milliseconds. Yep, that is. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Um, let's, let's express our opinions about the whole Ferrari situation today. We had sort of speculated. I, I heard on Twitter, in fact, somebody say that the reason... That uh, that Hulk wasn't hired at Haas was because Ferrari had told Haas to back off and to keep their hands off because Ferrari allegedly, according to this random tweeter, allegedly want Ricardo to fill in for Sebastian Vettel, and they they have uh, Hulkenberg as their second choice. Um, Chris, you don't like it? Uh, Hulkenberg, with his uh, more than 150 Grand Prix starts and zero podiums, is a very attractive offer for a top tier seat in Formula One. But he would make a fine number two, wouldn't he? He's, he's, like, he's better than Massa and Raikkonen. He's apparently very difficult to work with. And to, to have someone like that as your number two, that's just never going to work out. A number two needs to be compliant. And Hulkenberg is not compliant. Two drivers wound up going to Ferrari and just being terrible there, who had previously had halfway decent careers. And you look at what Hulkenberg has done, and aside from his race in Brazil, which he wound up throwing away uh, probably the best podium chance he would have ever had, you just got to wonder, like, how well would he actually do at Ferrari, given the team and and where he's coming from? It's it's not just Brazil um, 2012. He's had two races in Baku where he could have been on the podium had he finished those races but he didn't. And think about all the races where he and Perez were teammates and Perez was the one getting the podiums. To be fair, I'm so old, my memory pretty much stopped working right about there. Yeah. So anything I see is gone by next week yeah. now. Yeah. There's also Hockenheim. So there's a sort of a rather yeah. consistent theme yeah. with Hulkenberg being in podium places and choking pretty hard. Um, yeah, he's got a 100% track record of that. 
So the reason, obviously, that I, I brought up that rumour was it's interesting to, to look at the team dynamic now because everyone had kind of written Vettel off. I think that's fair, isn't it? Not everyone, but there was this big overwhelming... I was defending him. Yeah, there's a, there was an overwhelming swell of opinion that it was done for Vettel at Ferrari. Leclerc was the new Ferrari messiah and they were going to put somebody else in or Vettel would be reduced to a number two role. Obviously, it's very awkward because Vettel is on £40 million a year at Ferrari, so you don't want to be telling your £40 million driver what to do. But Leclerc clearly feels now that he's as entitled to uh, Ferrari favour as Vettel. So there was almost a sense of when he lost that position, there was almost a sense of, give me that place back wasn't there and that, so I'm just wondering how that, that Ferrari dynamic is going to work out because they've been very used to having a compliant number two now they if you want to argue Vettel's the number two they certainly don't have a compliant number two and he yeah the clerk accepted it for the first few races and Ferrari publicly came out and said they were going to favour Vettel they blatantly said it which I found quite quite surprising um, but yeah now he's proven himself to be the, the strongest driver in the second half of the season then yeah, I don't think he's accepting these decisions anymore. But look back at um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was uh, well Australia to start with, um, and then and then China I think as well, where he where he was told like yeah, he was basically sacrificed for Vettel, and he didn't really complain too much. He just accepted it. But now now you hear him hear him complaining a lot on the radio. Matt, this is going to be a fascinating one to play out because you've got a fast, competitive Ferrari for the rest of the season, two very capable top tier drivers and a big power battle. It's going to be fascinating to see how they resolve it. Yeah, well, this this uh, this is beginning to remind me a bit of Weber and Vettel when he was much younger. And it's since that only a strong team principal being very clear about what's going on has any hope of keeping the whole situation from going up in flames. But that said, Ferrari have been very consistent. Like, we will favor the lead driver gets the best strategy until... It's better for Ferrari, the team, for us to change things up. And then you're just going to have to live with it. We'll happily tell you why we did what we did. But you will live with that decision because we are Ferrari and Ferrari is first, not the individual drivers. And it has ever, honestly, I think, been thus for them. Charles Leclerc has made every statement he needs to this season, though, hasn't he? From Almost from the, the get-go. He is the most successful driver in qualifying this season. At five pole positions. Lewis Hamilton has four. So so far, he's still leading that. He's now outqualified Vettel eight races in a row. Is it? And his his race pace is right up there as well. And you just think if if he hadn't crashed in uh, Baku qualifying, or if he hadn't had the engine failure in in Bahrain, he could be so much further up in in the, in the championship and would not have Ferrari wrapped around his finger, but certainly in a strong favour. Yeah, no, I, I think it's hard to argue um, with Leclerc being the better driver this year. Yeah. It's hard to argue with Vettel's experience, which served him well today on the restarts, for example. And I think Ferrari's statement at the beginning of the year absolutely made sense, which is, oh, well, we have a four-time world champion and we have someone very talented who's never been in the team before. So, yes, we are going to favor the person with all of the experience and long roots in the team. But they never said, no matter what, they never said, we don't care what Leclerc does this year. We will always do everything we can to get Vettel in the lead. I think it was always very pragmatic of them 
to tell to say, well, yeah, if Adel has the experience, naturally we will we will lean his direction if it's a 50-50 situation. I don't think that's the case anymore because Leclerc has made the case on track that they're be traded as equals, and I don't see any evidence. Although I know people argue, oh, the undercut today, but no, not the undercut today. I don't see any evidence that when the shoe is on the other foot, that they don't behave exactly the same way with Vettel and, and put Leclerc ahead of him. Hmm. Yeah, like we saw in Spa, they essentially left Vettel out to hold Hamilton up, which, which, which got Leclerc the win. But um, they, they kind of shot themselves in the foot a bit, um, being so rigid with that we will favour Vettel. They need if if they were slightly more dynamic with it, like starting from Australia to let Leclerc through, and as you said, like um, Leclerc could have been in a much stronger, stronger state. There's a couple of races, at least two, I can remember, where they really, really stitched Leclerc up essentially, and he would have had a whole load more points if they hadn't have done that. But I still see them adapting to their experience much more than uh, tr- you would expect of a traditional Ferrari okay. structure. Well, well, look, moving away from Ferrari a little while, because they've got themselves a nice problem, but definitely a problem between their two drivers. Doesn't it make the decision by Mercedes to retain Bottas and keep the lovely, clear situation they've got going at the moment kind of seem sensible? Yeah, because it's a winning formula, isn't it? uh, Ferrari have made the decision to bring up Leclerc after one season of, of Grand Prix racing in an effort to beat Mercedes, who are the benchmark. Mercedes are just keeping things as they are because they're still the benchmark. Yeah, it's so sensible that after Botas got his feelings hurt by Hamilton in qualifying, they threw away a podium position just to make him feel better. Yeah, I think that's very sensible. Absolutely. Do you know what was a slap in the face for Valtteri today was to say, do a 48-8 so that we don't overtake Lewis. Yeah, and uh, the the play the team game sounded like a conversation had been had previously so Bottas knew exactly what play the team game meant Mm. Uh, but to actually be told to slow down to save the team the embarrassment of asking you to move over later that is a massive gut punch Mm. it says you are out of the championship he's the closest person in the championship still to Lewis Hamilton and he's been told that doesn't matter Mm. you are not competing with Lewis well they've, they've essentially gone all legs in one basket and I think Bottas is aware he was fairly lucky to keep his drive and I wouldn't be surprised if there's something in his contract or a negotiation somewhere saying okay we'll give you the drive but you are you are our toy basically like mm. like we like we're going to use you as a pawn to help Lewis and uh, I've, I've just unpacked a bit of Lewis code all right it, when he says we win together we lose together we win as a team we lose as a team what he means is I could not be more upset at the team. It is absolutely their fault and not my fault. And he's being kind of very magnanimous in that. But he does that so frequently. He, he correlates those two things so often that it's now clear that that's what he means. Uh, okay, um, let's see. Uh, interesting to see the inter-team team orders. So obviously Gasly was going to get out of the way for Verstappen. Toro Rosso are going to get out of the way for, for Red Bull. We, we know that. We know that advantage exists. I think today it was pretty clear that it exists between the customer engine teams as well because you could predict how much a car was going was gonna to battle. Giovinazzi put up much more of a fight for the Mercedes coming through. Stroll was very robust in defense, uh, but not so much when the Mercedes came through. Yeah, and and this is no surprise, and it is one of the larger problems 
I think that you're going to have as this, they're not customer teams, but in some ways they might as well be customer teams. As that relationship knits tighter in the face of more threatening economics, it's going to be more and more of a problem because really now the sport is, oh, well, the Tarasa is kind of on my team now. Yes. And and the, the sporting rules haven't really addressed it, and I don't know if they can. I think they need to find a way, though, because uh, if, if, even if it's just some kind of communication band between engine supply and the, the, the customer team during races, for example. Now, this, is, this has been happening uh, yeah. from the day of yeah, yeah. customer oh, yeah, engines. Of Remember Sauber with Ferrari? Yeah. The Saubers will always hold the McLarens up and then jump out of the way of the Ferraris. Yeah, yeah, this has always happened, and it always will happen. Perez conveniently running off the circuit while he was hunting down Fernando Alonso in Sepang in 2012. Yeah, yeah and, no. and, and today Stroll really held up the Ferraris and then he pitted out of the way of, of Hamilton. So you could say that's coincidence uh, or you could say that he got a little message through. I, I will say we give Stroll a lot of grief, but from a, a racing point of view today, Kyle, he was super, super aggressive. I know it didn't kind of work out for him, but one of the criticisms that we've given him in the past is he's a kind of gently, gently, and if there's lots of carnage, he can pick up the scraps. Uh, but today, he was really going for it, fighting hard, overtaking, racing really well. Yeah, it was such a shame that it was, in the end, we didn't actually see footage of it, but it was um, it was said that he hit the wall all on his own, which caused him the puncture. But but look at today, he his racing was superb, and look back to Monza as well. Before Vettel billied him out of a... Uh, he was in a fantastic position and he was putting in a really strong drive so the last two races Stroll has actually been the perfect midfield driver really he's been very aggressive and some of his moves he put on were really good there were several side-by-side corners with more than one person and I remember yeah. I, I said like good racing boys you know that could have so easily end up in a crash and, and, and yeah he was very good today so it was extremely unfortunate that he made that unforced error essentially so essentially what you are saying then is that given enough time, seasons, and money, <laughs> even a thoroughly average driver can actually do a good job in a Formula One car these days. Yeah, correct. Particularly okay. if their dad in, buys them a team. In, in a team like Racing Point, especially, which is now finally seeing a little bit of you know, profit from uh, being bought out of the Stroll Consortium, you know, the, the, their really weak start to the year was obviously a, a side effect of the team going into administration last year. Now they've properly rebuilt themselves and they've just had their last big upgrade package for the season and they don't seem to be quite there yet but you can see it heading in the right direction especially with Lance and Sergio now seemingly on a a much more level playing field in terms of lap time yeah Stroll was ahead of Perez for most of the race and was out pacing yeah Yeah. Yeah. fantastic Uh, let's move on to the podium A slightly shorter than normal race review. I know we normally kind of go into the 90-minute bracket, don't we, Matt? Uh, but we're all eager to get away and back home today. Uh, we will catch up in the week, perhaps, and we'll yeah. do a little bit of a deeper dive or a new show. And we'll pick up the pieces um, on a Sunday as well. But we did want to get the race review out after the race, and we had the opportunity to do it all together. Uh, thank you. I know the sound sounds different. It, it does It does vary when you come out and I've stripped the shed out and put most of the shed 
here on a couple of tables and we're relatively inexperienced to doing that but hopefully the live shows will get better and better hope you enjoyed the race review anyway you can follow us online at mistapexf1 on twitter mistapexpodcasts.com for all our shows Carl Power can't be bothered with social media but Chris is at Chris on racing and Matt is at MattPT55 this is generally the time of the show where we give out awards Matt so I think we should do that Fair enough. Let's get to it. The first thing we do is award our thing of the weekend. Do you have a thing of the weekend, Matt? My thing of the weekend? This was a hard one. Um, But do I really have a thing of the weekend? Yes, I do. Ricardo's disqualification because that (laughs) gave everyone a reason to be angry about something almost entirely pointless. Okay, good. So you're going for the it caused controversy approach. Uh, Chris Stevens, what was your thing of the weekend? Uh, Roman Grosjean uh, for getting his elbows out and and really getting stuck into some proper racing. And uh, it seems like uh, being being re-signed, confirmed for next year has done wonders for his confidence. uh, My thing of the weekend was Ferrari making a very good strategy decision and boosting the confidence of their former star driver can I have one more yeah of course you can my thing of the weekend was watching the race with a whole bunch of people (laughs) for the first time and I have a special shout out to Sam sitting next to me as we're staring at lap times a full what five seconds ahead of the rest of the room and just getting gleefully excited as everyone else is like wow this race is boring we're like "Ooh, look at that sector time it was really fun to have someone as nerdy as me how did you guys uh, did you enjoy watching the race with people it was rubbish (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it it was interesting because it was not a race where there was a lot going on and it was a long race so two two hours it actually feels like a bit much for a race when there's big long periods where nothing's happening really long safety periods and that first phase of the race where they were just literally doing nothing Uh, but yeah I think um, I'm tempted to give my thing of the weekend to Stroll but actually I'd like to give it to Gasly I know he he didn't catch Lando Norris in the end but when, when you look at what Gasly's had to deal with in the summer it's a real big kick to get your your dream drive in a top team have that opportunity against a top driver have been deemed to have failed within six months and i think that was the correct decision to, to let him go but for him it must have been absolutely gutting and he's picked himself back up and he's put in a really good performance in in that midfield and it was a scrappy midfield and it was a fighting midfield so you know he's he's shown that that early faith yes it didn't work out a red bull but he's not a bad driver also to add to that it's it's much easier or it was well known to be much easier to go from a bad car to a better car than it is to go from a good car to a worse car and he's dealt with it really well and the, all the performances he's put in for Toro so he's he's been he's, well I think he's been outperforming Kvyat has he not? Yeah yeah yeah. Well, but that car suited him from the beginning that's why he wound up getting hmm. where he was in the beginning of the season uh, we do have a shout out from the chat room mm-hmm. for Giovinazzi actually leading a race oh yes. yeah yes yes <laughs> Mm-hmm. That was uh, strange, but then it, it was such an odd race in that the pack was backed up a, a lot more than normal, mm. so it was a lot closer. So when Giovinazzi did eventually pit, he he popped back out in like fifteenth. <laughs> so you know, there's there's reality for you, like a big slap in the face. But yeah, it must have been nice for him to get some airtime and be out in the front. Uh, he certainly had a lot of critics this season. Uh, I, I don't know where we land on that if people have been too harsh on him. Uh, I think he's getting there. He's certainly not had this season. I, for one, expected him 
uh, to have, but he seems to have Ferrari's backing and uh, Ferrari's faith, which is, you can't ask for more than that, really. And he certainly had the legs on Kimi this weekend. Yeah. So he was ahead of him all points during a race, I believe, well, apart from when he pitted, but then he came back through and got ninth, I think you believe. Which is not bad considering he hasn't driven around Singapore, has he? Yeah, no. Uh, well, it can't all be positivity, guys. We do have a negative award as well. That's a little quiet, but it's the Missed Apex Award. Who missed the Apex for you, Matt Trumpins? Uh, you know I'm going to say Mercedes, the team, because they just entirely missed the winning strategy today. And they, they should have been, at least one of their cars, should have been pitted at that point. So you can go not. back in time. You are the strategist, Matt. What's the one thing you changed today? Well, if you have faith in the ability of Botas to pass cars, you pit him the following lap with Leclerc to cover it off or you pit Hamilton one or the other but you do not leave them both out there in that situation I don't think it, it, do, you, do you remember a while ago we used to uh, criticise Mercedes for the do nothing strategy and that's not an insult as in they don't do anything but when there's a snap decision their instinct seemed to be well let's do nothing let's see how it goes let's let it play out and I, I thought that had kind of started going the other way but this was a very cautious strategy, and it was not a proactive strategy. Yeah, I mean, it seemed a very cautious weekend all around from them, which is interesting given how dominant they've been, uh, especially one would think at a track like this. Everybody predicted, I predicted last week, it was Red Bull that would give them the challenge, not Ferrari. So one does kind of wonder a little bit what might be bubbling beneath the surface, but I haven't heard anything, and I don't know. But yeah, it, it, was, it seemed a little off for them. Not on brand. Can, can I just add that if you were to compare these last six or seven races to the first, the first six or seven, they're two completely different seasons, aren't they? You wouldn't recognise them as being part of the same year. And I just wish that Ferrari and uh, Red Bull could hit the ground running as Mercedes do and we could have a proper championship fight. Yes, I also wish that Ferrari had hit the ground running and were in the championship fight. <laughs> That's a thing I said just now. Uh, missed Apex Award, Chris. Who missed the Apex for you? Uh, the Renault drivers for me. Um, yeah. For more Hulkenberg than Ricardo because I think Ricardo needed to take risks today. Uh, to, to get back up the field, especially on a track where it is difficult to overtake, although at the point in the race where he did make contact, maybe he should have taken fewer risks because the safety car brought everyone together. But for me, Hulkenberg being, at the start of the race, Renault's sole uh, realistic hope of, of getting some good points, and it took him five corners to throw that away. Hmm. For, for somebody who's trying to advertise his services uh, for 2020 to anyone who will take him. We know it's not going to be Haas. It's very unlikely to be Williams and unlikely to be Alfa Romeo. That's his better shot. Uh, but with Ferrari coming out and saying, oh, we like Giovinazzi, then it doesn't look likely. And he's trying to advertise elsewhere in motorsport. He doesn't want to go into sports cars for some reason. So where is he going to go? He, he cannot. He doesn't want to do ovals. He can't find uh, a, a place. And he just he needs to start advertising his services properly. He's going to wind up in DTM, which is where all ex-Formula 1 drivers go when With they Kubica. don't want to run ovals. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, 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 since you mentioned Kubica, obviously it's now official that he's not going to be racing for Williams this year. And I think that's fair. I, I didn't like the fact that he kept, it kept being reported that he's decided to leave. 
I strongly suspect it's to do with his sponsors pulling out and him no longer being able to fund his seat at Williams. So it's it's very very similar to the Sorokin uh, deal last mm. year with SMP where they pulled him out. Yeah. Okay. But I, I, what, what, I, it's very generous then of Williams to say it was his decision, and I think it's probably right now that it's been shown he probably isn't a good prospect in F1. I, I I know some Polish fans will say it's a different car, and perhaps Robert has has had a disadvantage. George Russell has been favoured. Um, however, it doesn't look like he's up to scratch in Formula One right now. So, even though I think it's the right decision that he's going to leave Williams. I do want to say he's climbed a massive, massive mountain to get back into F1 and just hods and hods of respect for him for getting this far. I just can imagine him in quiet places where no one can hear going, of all the teams in Formula One, I picked the only one that you really do need two arms to drive. Because <laughs> that's that must be with his sponsors out the door and his performance not up to Russell's that just that must be what's going through his mind if i just had a car that was slightly more like a regular formula 1 car that wasn't 3 seconds off the pace and almost impossible to manage he might have been closer and and that's always but i think he's i think he's satisfied that he got back he had a season he was not he was not 10 seconds off the pace no, he was he never could do that it. far off yeah. of russell who is admittedly a very very hot prospect and because Chris had my mistake picks. So I, was, I was I was going to do Hulkenberg, and while we're on the subject of uh, Kibitza, um, he gets my mistake picks. As Sam was pointing out during the race, uh, after Russell had pitted on lap one, he was fifty seconds, was it five oh fifty seconds behind Kibitza, and within eighteen laps, he'd he'd caught him. So and, after and, me, and, oh. and then passed him. So so it was just the pace differential between the two Williams drivers, and 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 so I know I'm probably going to get slated by Polish fans for this, but we we we'll, we'll love to see him come back, and I think everybody was hoping that it was going to be the fairy tale story, but I think the fairy tale's over. He's had he's had his sort of yeah he's he's had his go, but. Yeah, I just don't think it's quite there up to There's the me trying to be nice, and then you just turn around, undo all of that, and just stick I mitigated it. I mitigated well, it. I th- yeah, I, th- I, I myself was very, very clear about where I stood on Kubica's um, return. Formula One is not a charity. Uh, no, I think he would. It would have been perfectly respectable him coming back and and doing uh, you know testing for uh, for for the team. That in itself, I think, is an achievement after what he's been through. I mean, don't get me wrong, I have massive respect for him, but I do think it was a mistake putting him in a race seat. I don't know if it was a mistake, but Formula One is the opposite of a charity. If you show up with enough money and something that resembles talent, they will give you a seat if you pay enough for it. And he, he, he he put the sponsorship together. His sponsors wanted to put him in the Williams. But, as you said, much like Sorotkin, his, between his results and the incredibly poor performance of Williams, mm. the team, it was it was it was obviously never going to last. No. It's a handy uh, cover up for them, Ooh. isn't it? Really handy. But, yeah. Oh come Ooh. on. But you know what? We were talking last week, weren't we, about the financial situation down at Williams? That's more money they've just lost. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I think we talked about that last week, didn't we? That Williams do protest. That their their issues of not getting to testing at the beginning of the season was not cash related. It's it's very clear that they're struggling for money. Um, Kyle, do you have a substitute missed apex award? Oh, I'm on the spot now. Um, okay, then Lance Stroll for making an unfortunate mistake out of what otherwise would have been a brilliant. You're just drive. undoing all my work here. For once, I sat here in front of a mic and said Stroll did really well, and you're like, nah, he he's was doing rubbish. really really well. What a useless git. 
is, is what you've you've just done there. I'm not going to say any more Miss Apex. They're just going to be horribly unpopular. Uh, I think I think for me the Miss Apex award probably will go to uh, Daniel Ricardo. Uh, because he was on a charge and he was really aggressive and I liked how fighty he was sounding over the radio but then he, you know, he went over the line and through over aggression threw away his chances of a decent result so missed the apex oh what else have we got here what other prizes do we do uh, a pony pony award hang on uh, hang on I, I always get caught out by this it's slightly louder the pony award oh it's not there it's not on my board so uh, the Pony Award is for uh, people who are generally kind of angry on the mic uh, on the radio and normally have a bump and it says oh no no what's it no daddy <laughs> daddy, daddy I want a That's Pony and I want it now is there any other contenders apart from Leclerc Russell yeah go on Russell what was Russell's comment oh, I, I, I should have known better after the Grosjean oh right yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously Leclerc it was a sustained pony for me yeah. one of those things would have been fine but he really kept saying you know I need everything I need all the power but then his teammates got all the same options so I, I found mm. that very weird that he would be wanting engine modes because surely if he got given one Vettel would also get it I think there was a fault on his car there was an electric fault at the beginning and that during one of the safety car periods it reappeared and so they were telling him they were going to have to manage the car back but for whatever reason that fault resolved itself and he wound up having those modes available but it was more uh, to me his constant reminding the team that they took first place away from him and that that wasn't fair he kept on saying it's not fair and that that was what bothered me like i think i think the team pretty much knew that the moment you said what has happened here so have that conversation when you get back to the garage you know I mean that but to be fair if I was that good in a Ferrari maybe I would feel differently about it so Patrick Daring in our live chat room that you can find by going to missed uh, to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex Podcast, he say, he quotes the I will not do something stupid means I am about to do something really <laughs> stupid. Uh, yeah. Raising driver 101 conversation. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, he never really got into an overtaking position anyway. Vettel drove well enough to keep him out of that window. Maybe it will be different if it was a track that you could follow more closely. But today, in those conditions, once Vettel had the lead, he was more than good enough to keep it. So hats off to race winner Sebastian Vettel. It may have been fortunate, and the lead may have landed in his lap by good fortune, but he did everything he could to hang on to it. Thank you very much to the guys here in the room for uh, keeping us company for the race and for our race review. Uh, Again, you can follow the show at MissedApexF1 on Twitter. Follow me at SpannersReady, at MattPT55, at ChrisOnRacing. Uh, and Kyle, you have to go to his house. The address is 8 Hampshire Court uh, in Cambridge, isn't it? So Definitely. Yeah, so you just follow him <laughs> in real life. Uh, you, could, uh, you could also consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. We're going to catch up in the week to uh, pick up a bit more of the any other business and the Formula B that we didn't manage to catch up on. And the karting. And mm-hmm. we're going to do a deep dive about our karting day. We're not going to put it on the main feed because I appreciate that not everyone's going to find that super interesting. I will just say it will be so worth it, though. It was so epic. So if you can, don't miss it. It was an absolutely fantastic day. Everything went to plan and there was great competition and I won a trophy. The people in their own race suits don't count because who turns up to a rental car competition 
in your own race suit, Kyle Power. It's unbelievable. So only the people in the rental suits <laughs> counted, and I won the, the rental suit race. Just but yeah. Your own gloves and helmet. Okay. Uh, well, it and wasn't. Boots. It wasn't my own helmet. I didn't have boots. It wasn't my own helmet. It was the events driver comms helmet. So I only wore okay. that because it had the driver comms installed. And when Brad did the driver comms, he wore that helmet as well. It's just a mystery how my MGUK gave me more power when I hit curbs. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, do join us sometime in the week, but whenever you catch up with us again, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex Live. Polite round of applause. Okay. They're showing me some letters. C-O-T-W. I don't do this deliberately, I swear. <laughs> Matt, do we have any contenders for... Comment of the week. Well, I will say that it's a little more challenging in the live environment to sort of keep track of the comments. So uh, is that that's your first excuse? So. But nonetheless, okay. much like persevering over my life-threatening injury yesterday... Um, I do have a few here. Okay. Starting with our friend Michael Brown. I'm just amazed that McLaren's engine didn't miraculously fail on the last lap again. Okay. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty good. Yep. Uh, we have uh, Cameron Walker with Conspiracy Time. Mercedes had Russell stop on track to bring out a safety car and close the gap. Which, yes, yeah. you could buy some tinfoil with that, I believe. Honestly, when, when we were... Uh, saying oh Hamilton could really do with a safety car right now and Mercedes do have another driver at their mm. disposal I, I, no one's ever thought of this but maybe they could just get Bottas to stuff it into a barrier mm. uh, but yeah. yeah no one's ever thought nah. of that before particularly at that race crazy <laughs> thought crazy thinking <laughs> okay do we have any more contenders uh, yes we have a couple more Bart Kevlum has we know you're a Bottas 2.0 but we prefer Bottas 1.1 so you're getting a downgrade and then I think our winner has to be our friend Sam H. Out of all the hours I'll be alive in my life, that was two of them. <laughs> yeah, those, that is, and that is technically true. Uh, that's got to be the winner. Read it again. Uh, so Sam H., congratulations for out of all the hours I'll be alive in my life, that was two of them. You have won this week's Conversation of the Week. Well done. All of us on that one. <laughs> Thank you very, very much to the live stream. Actually, you guys really helped me a lot with um, trying to sort the, the sound issue out. What was happening was we had a poorly placed speaker and that was going back into some of the microphones and we could kind of hear it, but didn't realise how how uh, how much of an effect it was having on the live stream. We did all this uh, in an hour after the, the race finished. So we will get better. We learn from every live stream. And I think once we actually got up and running... It was probably one of the technically uh, better live event streams we've done. Guys, Vettel's been disqualified. Uh, do you want to do this again? What? I'm joking. No, oh, sorry. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I had a bet on him to win, so if he's won me money, I would have been very upset. Do, do you know why I'm upset? Is because like, I, I learned a lot about myself in that moment. I believed you because I wanted to believe you. <laughs> <laughs> like if you just said it, if you just said, "Oh, Hamilton was disqualified from a win," I'd be like, "No, it couldn't have been." Oh my god, <laughs> that was like that. that was the lamest lie I've ever told. It wasn't even believable. Hey, guys, we know that's what I'm saying, but because I was like, I wished for it. I think that's I what sold like, it. Yeah. 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 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.